Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and just so excited to bring with you another incredible female leader today. And in fact, her name is Shelly Dominguez Leader. I mean, what a great last name, right? So appropriate and really, really excited to introduce you to her today. She is an amazing Latina leader, and we're just going to hear a lot about her journey and her experience. So welcome, Shelly. Hi, thank you so much, Melinda. I'm extremely excited to be here today. Awesome. Well, everybody knows I love talking about big dreams. And what was that big dream of yours when you were growing up? What did you think you were going to be? Oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing, but my family loves to remind me of this whenever I go home. I thought it was going to be the Avon lady. I thought it was the coolest thing to walk around, ring the doorbell and show up and make people feel their best selves. I just thought the ladies that would call on my mother, my grandmother, I thought that was amazing. So I was like, I want to do that. I want to be that. And of course, my family was like, no, I'm the oldest of 14 cousins. So they were like, you're going to school. You're going to do bigger things than the Avon ladies. So please dream bigger, go bigger than that. But I loved it. So I wrote that down and I believed I was going to be the Avon lady one day. And so funny that now I am in marketing and advertising and I am still showing up to help people think about what do you need to be your best self, whether you think you need it or not, I'm going to help you get it. And so it's weird to know that I actually did something like that. Maybe not that it, but that's what I really believed I was going to be. Well, I love that because first of all, there are probably a whole lot of people listening to this that don't know what the Avon I know. Is. I mean, like makes me feel old, but probably don't know that. But you know what I really love about this is that the Avon lady was a role model to you. And here's the thing. They were those first entrepreneurs. I mean, mm-hmm. women didn't work outside the home. And mm-hmm. to really be able to do that and the fact that you actually honed in on I want to make people feel good about themselves and feel positive. You weren't like, oh, I want to play with makeup. It was like, how do I make people feel good about themselves and come into their home and make them feel empowered? I love that because they were the entrepreneurs. I love that they were dressed up. I love that they left their home. I love that they were carving space out for them. And at a very young age, I understood that. And what was really amazing about that is it prompted a conversation in a very culturally traditional Mexican household where women, that's not what you do. You get Mm -hmm. to cooking, you get to cleaning. You don't really leave and you don't really think or hope for more. But I love that I was able to speak about that with my mother, with my grandmother. And they're like, yeah, you're going to do that. And so much more, so much more is what you're going to do. So growing up, I kind of had that on my shoulders. All their little cousins are watching you. You will go to college. You will succeed. You will be the best thing ever. So I thought that of myself because I had the family structure, specifically the women making that, telling me that that was true. That's amazing. I'd love to kind of dive a little bit more into your Mexican heritage and your background and how that really has shaped you as a leader. Because let's face it, when you saw the Avon ladies on TV, they weren't Mexican. No, They weren't Black. You know, although they were role models for women getting out, there weren't a lot of role models around for a young woman with your background. So I would love just to talk to you about uh, how it shaped your journey. What kind of hurdles did you have along the way because of that background? It definitely early on 
made me, because I was getting the advice from everyone, right? And most families, everybody has an opinion, but in specifically my Mexican family, everybody had an opinion. Like when I was dropped off at college, I had 20 people there to help me move in my dorm and make sure things were safe and making sure the RA knew who they had in their you know, care, scrubbing and making sure my room was ready to go. So I understood that everyone, you know, were looking up to me and my family had a lot of aspirations for me, but they also had a lot of opinions. So when I got out of school, well, first, when I selected my major, everybody was like, what are you going to do with that? At first, I really thought I was going to law school because I wanted to argue and fight and bring social justice to all. And they're like, there's no way you're going to make money right away. That is ridiculous. Try again. What else you got? So I'm like pitching my future to my family of not very many college graduates. My father was the first of six to graduate from college. So finally, when I said, I'm going to major in marketing, this is what I'm going to go do. They're like, okay, she can get a job. This is back. You know, they were watching and hearing about like the Mad Men era of things. And they thought, yeah, females work there. She'll find something there. And I remember thinking, no, I'm not going to just be the girl that greets people in the office. Like that's not going to be me. So wait, wait and see. So as I went through school and I started looking at what my career would be like, I really believed I was going from school to an ad agency. I graduated in San Antonio, Texas, and there weren't many ad agencies to be found. So I had to get real scrappy real fast. What can I do? Where can I go for experience? How do I just start understanding you know, what this really, really means? Because marketing was so broad. But very luckily, I received a job with a beer company. So I'm young 20s working at a beer company. And I'm like, this is the life. And my family's like, whoa, she made it. But what I also learned was beer is a very male dominated industry. The company I worked for was Mexican owned. So it felt familiar. However, there's a lot of machismo. So you take that cultural male dominance with the male dominant industry. And I was like, oh, I felt like every day I was bucking the system in some way, shape or form to be heard, to be seen, to be understood. And I thought, all right, we're going to get our experience. And we're going to go do other things. Where's that agency? Was able to work through connections and get a job for my first advertising agency, moved to Dallas another Hispanic-owned agency. And there was that machismo again. And there was that little bit of, you're great. We want you to meet with our clients. We want you to talk to them. We want you to look pretty. We want you to be pleasant. But they didn't really want my ideas. They didn't really want me questioning the decisions that were made at the top. I thought, this still isn't right. Not right for me. Moved on to another Hispanic-owned agency. Same thing again. Had to fight for the promotion had to talk about pay gaps at a time where culturally you're taught just to take what they give you, girl. Don't go asking for more. Do a good job. They'll recognize it. They'll get more, but don't go bucking the system was really, you know, my family was kind of telling me, don't get greedy, stay humble, just take what's given. And I'm like, but this isn't right. This Yahoo over here isn't, you know, winning the business, isn't closing the deals, isn't making the sacrifices, isn't traveling. And he's getting promoted and making more money. There's no way we're doing this. The same time I happened to meet one of the partners of my current agency at 1035. And every time our teams were pitching together, I thought, I love the way he leads his team. I love the way that he empowers anyone in the room to speak and be heard. And I was like, that's my connection. Stayed close with them, helped in any way I ever could as a good partner and eventually he decided he was opening an agency in Houston and said, do you want to help me? I was like, yes. 
So ever since then, I've been part of 1035 and they champion women in a way that I never thought was really, really possible. I mean, the fact that they have, you know, close to 70% of our team members are women. I mean, almost 90% are in a leadership role is phenomenal. So for me, I felt very excited that I found a home. I found a place to truly utilize my skills, but also to help empower and bring other people along to not have to maybe go through the same level of struggles that I had to go through. I think what's interesting about your story, and I think what might surprise some people is that here you are an Hispanic woman and you go into an Hispanic owned agency. You know, I think conceptually we would think, okay, she's going to do better there than a white owned agency. Do you feel like you were actually held back more sort of these cultural differences and you would have actually done better in a white owned, for example? Yeah, 100%. What was interesting at that time, I had had my second child and my husband actually divorced, got remarried. My husband with my second child, our first, he's the one that told me when it was time to go back because he was seeing, you know, the text messages come in and stuff. And he's like, this is is ridiculous. They can't seem to function without you. You need to go back on your terms and you need to be okay with what happens with that conversation. Because there's still part of me that believed I was the little girl being told how to be, what to do, what is right, what is wrong. And I was like, is this a time for me to really be taking risks with salary? You know, I'm providing, I'm, I'm doing well. I don't know. And he's like, I can tell by how much they're badgering you to go back. This is where you go and you ask. And he's like, come on, go. And I did. It was scary and it was so uncomfortable, but it was so rewarding and it was so empowering. Because once you do it once, you're like, oh. We're never going to be afraid at that level again. I was able to have those conversations with leadership. And it took an actual white person coming into that agency to recognize my struggle. And that person in HR is actually the one that helped me grow faster than the primarily Mexican leadership in that particular agency. And do you think this happens to other Hispanic and Latina young women that maybe they're recruited or they're attracted to these, but it actually holds them back? I mean, do you find this? Yes, I do. And I know that it's still prevalent. I have, I know, and I've been listening to quite a few of your podcasts and I love them just to be very honest. But when you find that tribe and I have my tribe of professional mm-hmm. Latino working women, we call ourselves the mad women to play off the mad men world. We make it a point to get together. And the fact that everyone's still bringing in like the junior that joined their team or whatever, and we're hearing them struggle and we're like, let us help you. Let us tell you. And, you know, of course they don't take the advice the first time. It takes a few times for it to sink in and find your voice and find that confidence. But the fact that, yes, it's still prevalent, still happening. It's culturally innate within those men to mm-hmm. kind of look at you in, in a different way. So almost like a daughter and they're like, oh, Mejita, you'll be fine. Oh, we're not going to ask this of you. We've got so-and-so here that can do that. And it's like, no, I can do, I will do it. I've been doing it. I now need to be recognized for it or we're going to stop doing this. Very, very interesting. And it sounds like, I mean, especially when you talk about your tribe of other Latina women, that it has shaped the leader you have become. So so now, you know, that you're in a leadership position, you know, how do you lead differently to try to make sure that you are bringing other women, even other women of color into the mix? I lead with purpose and grace. 
So purpose, if I'm going to be involved and there's a leadership role for me, it needs to be purposeful. It needs to be actionable. I'm not just sitting there to be pretty, to be quiet, to be, you know, a box checked for anyone, whether that's a partner, client partner, internal, you know, a board, nonprofit, whatever it is. But if you're going to put me in that role, there's purpose because then I know how to explain that purpose to my team. And that's our North Star. And that's where I'm so fortunate to be surrounded by such great talent at 1035 that I know each one of them, how to use them to get to that purpose, how to help enable them and have them find their voice. So that helps them trust, because I think a big part of it is trust when you're in a leadership position to have them trust that you really are doing what's in their best interest. You want them to grow. You want their career you know, to take that next step. And then with grace, we're human. <laughs> we're figuring it out. We're going to stumble a little bit. But how do we recover? What happens when you do? What's the learning there? How do we extract that out to either not do it again and to rise stronger? And so for me, every single thing I'm assigned, whether it's professionally or personally, is with purpose and with grace, because I feel like some of that was lacking for me earlier in my career, and I needed it and had a thirst for it. So I'd like to make sure that my team gets that from me every time. Well, I think there is, you know, we really look at what leadership really means. I think that it sometimes gets lost on people that the true purpose behind a leader is actually to create more leaders, Mm -hmm. not more followers, you know, and I think that sometimes that gets messed up because I do think when there is a lot of ego behind that leader, then they want followers because it's that ego, but a true leader creates more leaders. Yep. A hundred percent. I mean, and I, I love that. And that's such a good point. I like pushing my team to say, you know what you present, I'm here. And they know one of the things I tell them often, there's nothing you're going to do that I can't undo in a phone call or in an email. Go make a decision, get over the speed bump, figure it out. I'm here for you because that's the only way we're going to learn. So I love to put our team members and empower them in the same way that I was, you know, kind of had to fight for the empowerment, but I like to give it to them. It freaks some of them out. I'm not going to lie. Not everyone's like ready to go at the plate. Some of them are like, uh-uh, I'm back here typing the conference report. You, you go. I'm like, no, come on, let's try. Let's try. Well, and I know that a lot of the work you do in sort of this marketing and PR is around helping companies actually become more culturally conscious. (laughs) I think it's so appropriate. So can you talk to us just a little bit about that process? How do you do that? So it comes to us in different ways. We have some of corporate America that we were already partners with before they were asked to take a harder look at themselves and before they were asked to check more boxes and to make sure that they were doing what was right. So our current partners already kind of had that trust in us and were asking us on the fly, can you read this statement? Does this sound right? Can you look at this footage? Is this right? Is our casting correct? Is this music right? Because one of the things we really try to do is make sure that we're helping brands meet and be culturally relevant. So what makes sense for them within culture, not in language, but in culture and whatever that means for that specific brand. So the ones we already had is a matter of we already had trust and they just would come to us. It'd be very normal at eight o'clock at night to get a text from a client partner and say, hey, we got this response on Instagram. How do we respond? And, you know, the scrappy team we were pre and the beginning of pandemic, all 20 of us were like, we got it. We're answering Because of that diligence, people talk, right? It's all about networking. Phones started ringing off the hook saying, oh my goodness, this team is already diverse. 
They're already (laughs) inclusive. They already know how to champion this. We were built that way. That was intentional by both of our partners. So we didn't have to figure it out when it was a good thing to figure out. The new business phone would not stop ringing. And it was a matter of how do you help us change a brand that maybe isn't sitting right with people today? How do we change that for tomorrow? And again, back to casting. What are we showing? Who are we showing? How do we get there? I have one client partner that really understood how TikTok was suppressing young Black creatives. And they asked us, how can we help? How do we put a stake in the ground, mean it, and continuing to take the walk and support the talk that we've done in the C-suite? So it comes in various ways, whether it's corporate consulting or full-blown campaigns. But I love it. And it goes back to that purpose. The fact that I get to do this and not just back in the day, push light bearded people. The fact that I get to do really purpose-driven things now and really establish that partnership and talk about some things that are tough to talk about and are a little scary to talk about at a very deep level is so important and so meaningful to me. I know that you, in the beginning of this, the podcast, you told us about your ultimate role model, the Avon lady, but I would like to dive a little bit more into role models because of course, that's why we call our podcast to see it to be a podcast, but it really truly is so important, uh, certainly for all women, but I I think especially for women of color, because the role models are further between, right? You don't see as many. Have there been role models along the way for you that have really been an impact and, and how do you go about finding those role models? Yeah. I mean, great question. And yes, they are hard to find. And then it's even a little bit harder to be like, can you carve out some time that I know you don't have to talk to me and to help me? And I need a little consulting myself and a little therapy. There is one woman that I'm so fortunate to have met. She moved to Texas from New York. And so she was going through a crazy transformation herself. She's like, you hear crickets. I've never heard crickets in my life. I need the streets. I need the sirens. But she came, you know, from Madison Avenue. So she was living the life that I thought an advertising person would go live. And she's the one that started to tell me, yes, you can. No, that's not right. No, it's okay. Find your confidence. She helped empower me without telling me exactly what to do, but reminded me of who I was and that it was okay. And that women outside of my bubble are doing it. And I love that to this day, I can, she moved back to New York. Texas was not for her, (laughs) but I can shoot her an email or a text and just say, I'm having a rough day and I don't know how to work this out. Can you talk? She's like, sure. When do you want to do it? And if I do go to New York, she meets me for dinner and we go to a show. And so I love that I have that, that sounding board in her, but in there, she introduces me to other people in her group. And I've been able to introduce her to other people in my group. So we've slowly started to create just this different sort of of support and tribe for different things. And so for me, she was the most important non-family member that could give me advice. I appreciated her so much. Yes. And I love that because certainly, you know, right up there next to, you know, finding those role models and being a role model is sharing your networks. I mean, you just nailed it. Like I started sharing my network with her. She started sharing her network with me. And I tell women this all the time that I truly believe it would be like a light switch for women. If every single day 
the first thing you did was think about who can I introduce because sharing those networks, it's like the old boys network and how that yes. was built. It's, it's critically important. Yeah. And I think ours is so much more powerful. There's a sense of loyalty and understanding that I just don't think the men have <laughs> that we do, but no, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think it's very important. And, and that is definitely one piece of advice I've given, you know, those that are getting out of school or starting brand new in their career is network. I know you don't feel like it. I know you think that you've done your job, right? You've closed the laptop, go, go to those conferences when you now, you know, it's COVID. Well, we'll see. But if you can get out, go, go meet one or two people and then follow up. I was the queen of the thank yous. If I met you, then the next day you were going to hear from me again. I was going to thank you for your time. I was going to see when we could hang out again. It was almost like dating, but it was more important to me than dating at the time. And it's really helped in my role as, you know, being in charge of client partnerships at 1035 to really foster and nurture those relationships. But same thing for how you build your network, but you have to put yourself out there. It's a great piece of advice because I I think that a lot of people think, well, I went out, I went out to this event and I met people, but the the key is that follow-up. Here's the newsflash. So few people actually follow up that when you do, it gets noticed. I think that that's the whole, you know, if you really are, are following through with that or, you know, you're asking them or you're thinking about, you're like, hey, you told me this last night. I have someone in my network. I would love to make an introduction that could help you. I mean, always thinking through that is just, I mean, it's magic. Yep. I couldn't agree more. And it it is the art of thanking people is so lost. All the hiring we've been doing lately and interviewing, I'm always still shocked that we rarely get the thank yous. And I'm like, who's raising (laughs) y'all? Who's letting that be okay? So those that get it right, it's pretty easy because you definitely stick out when you follow up. We live in a world where ghosting is sort of the norm. I think on a personal level with people, I mean, it kind of blows my mind and it extends to professional. And I think that that we've lost that ability to deal with conflict or things that make us uncomfortable. And it's tough because as you, I I love the, you've given so many great pieces of advice, but even you pushing your team and you were saying a lot of times they don't want to, and they're nervous and it's like, you know, do it anyway. I mean, that's the most, I mean, if you're nervous, that means this is something important. And I think that's phenomenal that you push people to do that because we all have to learn to deal with uncomfortable things. Yeah. And, and what happens when it doesn't work, right? And there's so much learning and good things through that. We're going to figure it out. I mean, it's, it's okay. It's okay to take the step. And if it didn't work, like I said, I'm here for you. That's my role is to make sure it's okay. And we come out of it and you learned and we're good and we're going to move on. It's when you don't take that step. And I see the lack of confidence in yourself consistently where I'm like, oh man, this isn't good. This isn't working. As we sort of close up here, I know you have this amazing role at 1035 and what's next for you? What's your next passion or, you know, what do you want to conquer next? Oh man, what's funny is we just had this conversation here at home. Definitely continue to grow with 1035. I feel like I found my home. So professionally, I know where that's going, but also, you know, maybe helping to teach some of the other women within our agency some of those things that have worked. I don't like to call them best practices because they were best for me at the moment at the time. So just other things to continue to help champion the women within our organization, because I feel that there's a lot of responsibility to make sure we've got them, we attracted them, they're happy. How do we continue to help make them grow? But also I have an 11 year old daughter with really big eyes who's watching me. I mean, she's not always happy with me, but she's watching me. 
And what am I showing her? And so now everything that I do select time to spend on is really much more purposeful than it was before, but really leaning into being a board member of a couple of nonprofits that I've identified that I really want to go all in in because there's opportunities for her to volunteer. And I feel like that's important for her to be able to feel that and see that and watch what mom does and start to figure out who she's going to be and what she wants to do and, you know, what's her Avon lady of sorts. That's amazing. And, and very powerful having kids and how I have a son, but I think even more so like, and he's a little feminist and I love it, but you know, I have to like, you know, to make sure that he learns all these things as well, because as a white male, he's going to have a responsibility to use that privilege. I'm hoping I'm teaching him a really great way that he can do that. So I'm sure you are. (laughs) One of the things with having kids is they're surrounded by content all day, every day. And so I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to give you the content you need. Like your family here, we're still the stars of your show. I know you don't think so, but we're teaching you not TikTok, not YouTube, mom and dad and brother. We're it for you, whether you like it or not. But no, I love that and appreciate what you're doing with your son, because I think all parents should take that step right now. Yes, absolutely. Well, if our listeners want to follow you or keep checking out and watching what you're doing, how can they find you? Well, definitely go to 1035.com. You see a deeper insight profile of myself and connect with us through there and you'll see what we're up to next and follow our adventures. So really excited to continue to see how we grow. Excellent. Well, Shelly, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation and and just you sharing so openly about your challenges as a Latina leader and super excited that we got to talk and we will certainly be watching what you do next. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciated my time with you. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at onthedotwoman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.